Aloha, unconventional people, and welcome back to the Unconventional Professor podcast. This is your professor, Loredana Padurian. And I have to say, you might not believe this, but I can believe that there are people who are listening to this podcast. I really can't. And I'm not saying this because I'm looking for your validation, but there's so much content out there. There's so many amazing platforms. There's so many amazing podcasts, TV shows, radio shows, etc. And And the fact that you give me a little bit of your time, that you give my guest a little bit of your time, it is beautiful and I will not take it for granted. Thank you so much. Today we have an amazing speaker, Janice Tan. She was my student. She is a beautiful person. She's a beautiful um, individual. She's highly unconventional in her courage to take things forward. And um, we're going to have a long conversation, but a very profound conversation. So I highly, highly encourage you to listen to, to the interview with Janice. But before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about the things that I like. And because the interview with Janice was pretty long, but pretty good, uh, I'm going to make this, uh, this segment pretty short. So um, I like what I like. And I heard, I think you heard me say this before, that I'm very specific about the things that I like. Uh, and what I like today is I like people who are beautiful, who know they are beautiful, and they are very comfortable with that. Now, what do I mean? I don't talk, I, I don't mean, you know, the pretty girls in high school or in college or in your office who know they are pretty and they are showing it off. No, 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 no. That's quite the opposite. I think um, what I mean, and I hope it makes sense, is I love people who know their self-worth who know that they are beautiful inside and out, whatever that out looks like, I, that I don't really care, and who are embracing that with a lot of love and a lot of excitement. It's so much easier to be around people like this. It's so beautiful to be around people who are happy with themselves, who, who appreciate themselves, and who are aware that nobody is perfect, but everybody can be on the journey of that. So... Today, I like beautiful people inside and out. And you know me, I like what I like. Tell me, what do you like about people? And while you're thinking about that, uh, I'm going to transition to our next segment, uh, Five on Five with, with Janice Tan. And like I said, it's worth it. Janice and I had an amazing conversation. I am so proud to know that at some point in her life, she was my student. And I will see you very, very soon with Five on Five with Jenny Stan. Jenny Stan, how are you? Hi, Professor. I'm very well. Thank you so much. How are you? I'm so excited to have you on this podcast. Welcome back. I know you're in Hong Kong, but welcome back in Kuala Lumpur, at least through this podcast. Thank you so much. I'm getting a little taste of home just you know, being able to speak to you. So thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to have you. For those of you who are just joining us, this is um, Jenny Stan. He's jo she's joining us on the Five on Five segment uh, on the Unconventional Professor podcast. And for those of you listening for the first time, the Five on Five is my unconventional twist to an interview. So rather than me constantly asking my guests questions, they also have uh, five questions for me. And also, just so you know, I don't know the questions. They don't know the questions. The only questions they know is my intro question and my final question. Are you excited about this format, Janice? What do you think of it? Yeah, like, I have to say, honestly, when you told me, uh, well, when you first invited me on the podcast, 
um, I was pleasantly, pleasantly surprised. And I was like, wow, okay, I'm really honored. And then when you told me that, okay, the podcast format is that I'll ask you five and you ask me five, I thought to myself, okay, this is unlike any other, and I'm a podcast junkie. So just to give a, a heads up to that, I'm a podcast junkie. I love podcasts, but I've never heard of a format that was like, where the, in, where the guests would re-interview the, the interviewer. So I'm quite excited to see how our interview will go. <laughs> Me too. So far, I had very positive experiences. And I have to say, um, I don't think I had the same question twice. Uh, oh. I think this is the sixth <laughs> or the seventh episode. So uh, there's also an incentive. There's a little bit of a perverse incentive to make the, uh, the guests to listen to the previous podcast so they don't, they don't ask the same question twice. <laughs> oh, for sure. Um, <laughs> I'm a little bit tricky like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, you are you are in Hong Kong right now, right? Yes, I'm currently in Hong Kong. And you just finished the hike you were telling me? Yes, I just came out of a um, five-hour hike. It was more arduous than I thought it, were, it would be. But, you know, I'm feeling recharged. I'm feeling excited for our chat today. <laughs> All right, then let's get us going. Uh, Janice, my first question is the typical question that I love to ask everybody who's on my podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what makes you unconventional. All right. So um, thank you so much for this question. It really got me reflecting. So Mm. hi, everyone. I'm Janice. Um, I'm a former lawyer turned ASB MBA 2020 student represent and uh, MBA 2020 student turned HR practitioner. Um, Why would I describe myself as unconventional? Um, I would actually say that I'm unconventional because I'm like a sponge. So why, oh. why do I call myself a sponge? So as someone who has a very high level of curiosity generally about all the things that are around me, I really believe in having a continuous learning and growth mindset. So that mm. takes the form of, you know, absorb, absorbing knowledge from the people around me, from books, from media, you know, podcasts such as this. Yeah. Um, or even, you know, just general things that I read around uh, the daily basis. So yeah, I, I'm really like a sponge in that sense. I'm very very curious and I'm also someone who's never satisfied with settling for good enough or the status quo and the case in point is that so after my MBA this year I pivoted Mm. industries and relocated all in the midst of this um, strange time in the midst of the COVID (laughs) situation so that's a little wrap up about myself and uh, and you went all the way to Hong Kong which is one of my favorite cities in the world so you're a sponge, you're curious, you're constantly learning, you're never settling for good enough. And I have to say, as one of my students, one of my alumni now, you truly are um, everything that you said and so, so much more. I'm so excited to have you. Thank All you. right. And now I'm excited to hear your first question for me. Drum, drum roll. <laughs> drum roll. All right. So um, the first question I had was something that is... Uh, a question about fear, I would say. Mm. So I think it was in May this year or, or June, I can't remember. Um, you actually created a series called Outspoken. Yes. Yes, it was a series that you created um, together with Frida. Uh-huh. And there was this one particular episode that actually really stayed with me. Um, oh my God. And, yeah, really, yeah. for real. I actually like, took some <laughs> notes on that. And it was actually the episode on Hustle. So I remember uh-huh. in that episode, um, you had a guest and you talked about not living life with fear and to approach that with a prototyping mentality. Mm-hmm. And even in ASB, we also speak a lot about like fail fast, fail forward. We have that throughout like the theme of our like action learnings and just kind of like the yeah. theory of the school. 
So I'm kind of fascinated about that, especially as someone who recently navigated the emotion of fear when I was pivoting mm-hmm. my career. And I think fear is a very natural, powerful, and very primitive human emotions. Of course. So I'm curious, how did you manage to internalize living fearlessly and to overcome those natural fear instincts that you have? So it's a kind of a two-pronged question. How do you yeah. how how do you overcome those fear instincts? And the second prong of the question is when it comes to making these fear-inducing decisions, how do you balance risk and rationality? Mm. So, yeah, I have to tell you, nobody has ever accused me of being rational in my entire life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so joke aside, first of all, I am so flattered that you watched Outspoken. Uh, it was a limited series that Frida and I had on YouTube for about a month and a half during the first month of the pandemic, where we got together and we said, I'm, I'm sp- I am outspoken. You are outspoken. Let's do an outspoken show together. And um, I think this question about fear uh, comes across a lot in many conversations that I have. But if you allow me to quote one of your colleagues, and I'm not doing this to, uh, you know, to butter up the ASB students. <laughs> but I was, I was talking in my class, uh, in my entrepreneurship class, I was talking about how... Um, First time, or entrepreneurs who start something from scratch have to be fearless. And Calvin Wu, if you remember, I yes. think it's class of 2019, right? Mm-hmm. He told me, he raised his hand and he said, and by the way, he's one of the youngest students we ever had. He raised his hand and he said, Professor, I don't think I agree with that. And you know, Janice, it's, it takes a big balls not to agree with me publicly uh, <laughs> for, for students. And I said, what do you mean by this? He said, I don't think it's, it's about being fearless. Uh, I think it's knowing what to do in the presence of fear. Mm. And for me, that was so fundamental that I'm actually going to put it in the book. So it's not being fearless, but knowing how to act in the presence of fear. Because you can allow the, the fear to paralyze you. You can allow the fear to, doubt, to, 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 to build doubt in yourself. You can allow the fear to make you run away. Or you can sort of embrace the fear and say, all right, I'm afraid. I, I, I recognize this feeling. I'm going to move forward, but I'm going to be very much aware that I'm, I'm walking an unknown territory. And uh, I said the other day in one of my podcasts that uh, there's a difference between uh, courage and confidence. Uh, confidence is acting in the presence of the known. I, I know something and I act with confidence, whereas courage is acting in the presence of the unknown. Mm. So I need to have courage to do the things that are, are unfamiliar. So for me, um, I, uh, you know, all of us have this uh, uh, fight or flight um, sort of yeah. way yeah. of dealing with stuff. And for me, it's always fight. I don't know why I always go into fight mode. Maybe there's something in my, I don't know, the, ways I, the way I was raised or the way I, I raised myself. And sometimes my adrenaline, instead of paralyzing me, takes over and makes me into almost this irrationally uh, fearless person. And the reason why I say irrational, because I said nobody has has ever accused me in my entire life, Janice, of being a rational person, quite the opposite, is I think sometimes you really need to have a little bit of irrationality to move forward. Because if you constantly... um, analyze something if you're sort of doing a uh you know a cost-benefit analysis of the fear of the consequences you're really not going to move forward as fast as you need 
And also, I'm an extremely dynamic person. I, I think fast, I speak fast, uh, I talk fast. Uh, but uh, I think um, if I were to, lead, to, to let fear, every time I did something big, like coming in, in, in Kuala Lumpur and starting ASB together with, with the team, I didn't think too much about it. Mm -hmm. I, I got the feeling that this is something that is very much aligned with my vision, with my mission, and that it matches. And I'm not also somebody who plans ahead for a very long time. I jump on an opportunity. So I think it's a combination of knowing what to do in the presence of fear. Do not allow the fear to become a paralyzer, but rather um, an accelerator, if you want. Mm -hmm. I think of it a little bit as a jolt of electricity, right? A jolt of electricity pushes you forward. That's how I think of fear. Mm. Can I ask a cheeky follow-up question to that? Sure. <laughs> so I just want to know, like, have you always been fearless? Or was there like a particular chapter or incident in your life that basically gave you that aha moment of like being able to live with courage and to, you know, yeah. as you mentioned, doing the things no, in the presence? No, I, I wasn't. Okay. I wasn't always fearless, but I was always, um, from, from as long as I remember, I was always very curious like you. Mm. And I always wanted to know more and... Uh, I think I, I think I said this in maybe my, my second podcast, but uh, for a very long, I think I was born with a lot of um, courage. I don't know if you are born courageous, but I feel like my inner self, it is somebody who's naturally courageous. Mm -hmm. But I think my, my, my education, my early childhood sort of put a, a damper on, on everything. You're a girl. Don't do that. Don't jump. You're a girl. Don't do this. You're a girl, you know. Girls don't do that. Uh, there was a lot of girls don't do that in my life. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that affects you in time because you start to be a little bit fearful because you constantly hear these messages about fear, 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 right? Correct. And uh, at some point, so I left home when I was 14. I went, to, I went to boarding high school and then I never went back home after that. And I, I had to learn that, um, you know, there's a lot of very scary things out there. Um, and... Uh, I'm all by myself. I, I pretty much approached life ever since I can remember having a, a well-articulated thought that I am by myself. And not because I don't have a loving family, don't get me wrong. But there was something that says, if I'm going to live life the way I want it to be, it's going to be me. Mm -hmm. My parents don't have the money to support me. They probably don't really understand my life philosophy at that point. So I'm going to have to move forward. And it was a, it was a regaining regaining confidence and practicing uh, being fearless. But like I said, I also, I think I have it in me a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit irrational. I move too fast. I don't think very much about consequences. And sometimes that helps. And sometimes obviously it doesn't help because I also got in trouble many, many times. And by <laughs> the way, guys, I have, I have a podcast with one of your colleagues who's been asking me if I ever had encounters with the police. So, you know, for those of you who want to know more, please feel free to listen to, to the, to the episode. But yeah, I would say, especially as women, we are constantly told to be fearful of something. Mm. Um, I, I reject the premise just as a, a, the same way I reject the premise of a guy being told to be afraid of everything. Um, and I'm going to go back to, to Calvin's quote and I will say, I would rather uh, know how to act in the, in the presence of fear rather than considering myself fearless. Mm, that's so good. I, I'm actually like taking lots of notes, so... Yeah, thank you so much. I've been taking so many notes <laughs> since this podcast started. I feel like 
every single time I have a podcast, and I said this many times, listen, Janice, if the only two people who are listening right now is you and me, we are still learning something from each other. Oh, for sure. Right? For sure. You know, I was actually listening to um, one of the Tim Ferriss podcasts. I'm not sure if you listen to Tim Ferriss. He's pretty no, popular. No, but I'm a podcast yeah yeah so he's, he's really um he he's really well known i think like kind of like a celebrity podcaster in a sense he recently mm-hmm. got people like hugh jackman he's interviewed um uh, jamie jamie fox sort of like celebrity yeah. podcasters and he was mm-hmm. meant, he also talked about his podcasting journey and how he actually dealt with you know the doubts in his mind and he told himself that you know if i have an audience of one that makes it valuable enough for me to even do this project and he just stuck with it he did about like he said he decided to do about 60 before deciding whether to abandon or to go through with it Mm -hmm. and when he came up to about 60 plus his podcast started gaining lots of traction and he was like okay you know what i i'm gonna go through with it and now he is who he is now i uh, i actually had somebody asking me um one of the people that i interviewed for the podcast devika she asked me how many how many episodes do I want? And I said, I never thought that far. I really never thought that I'm going to have more than two episodes. But the thing is, I think as long as my guest finds the experience to be interesting, I find the experience to be interesting and authentic, mm-hmm. I'll go on. And then, like you said, if it needs 60 episodes to, to gain traction, then I'll do that. However, I also want to say that uh, one of the things that I tend to do too much is I get excited about projects and then I drop them. So this could also have that chance. But, you know, if people like them, again, if there's two more out you out there who likes this, please let us know because Janice and I are very excited about this. <laughs> exactly. All right, Janice, I have a very interesting question for you. I Go hope. for it. <laughs> so, Janice, I think of you as one of the most beautiful women I have ever met in my oh life. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm blushing. And I want to ask you. Yeah, I, I do. I, from the first time I met you, I was like, wow, this is Wow. What is your relationship with your your beauty, your own beauty? Um, first of all, do you know that you're so beautiful? What's your relationship with beauty? And now you work for a beauty company. Um, how is that affecting your own relationship with beauty? Hmm. This is such an interesting question and very unexpected as well. So, wow, <laughs> I'm still processing it right now. Hmm. My relationship with beauty, that's such an interesting one. No one has ever spoken to me about this or, or discussed this topic with me. So let me, let, me help you. let me help you a little bit here. Do you know that you're beautiful? Is this something that you've been told all your life? Oh, wow, Janice is so beautiful. Look at Janice, she's so pretty. She's a beautiful child. She's a beautiful girl. Have you heard that all your life? No, I, I would just say definitely not. Because, yeah, what? no, really. Let, so let me tell you why. You should see uh, my face right now. I am no. I, this is not a situation of me being a humble brag or whatever. But the, the truth, guys, check out her Instagram. She is drop that gorgeous. This is not me. She is. If nobody told you, I don't know what friends you have. But okay, I'll I'll own it. Go I'll ahead. Own it. But it's not. Um. So just to answer that. Uh. The the first question you had for me is the that no, I have not always thought of myself as beautiful, and the reason being um that honestly growing up. Um, I don't know if this might shock you or not, but I think for many, many years of my life, especially in my formative years between like 6 to 12, I was super, super Mm -hmm. introverted. And I would 
I was mm-hmm. very like very very quiet. I would describe myself as probably like a wallflower kind of nerdy, mm-hmm. uh, nerdy kind of stereotype yeah. where I would kind of blend into the back, blend into the walls, and just um have one or two close friends, but not really be like, you know, one of the popular girls in class. And I've I was just always painfully shy to the point that I think even yeah. when I was like at the age of five or six, my parents thought that I had speech um development issues, so they actually mm-hmm. sent me to like speech and drama lessons just to help me open up and just to just yeah just to be a bit more like vocal and just to even communicate so in that sense I've always never thought of myself as beautiful because even at a very young age it was very clear who were the popular girls in class they were always the pretty chatty ones with like tons of friends and you know they get invited to like parties Mm -hmm. and even at that very young age you you kind of see the divide right you can can tell tell. of course yes you can tell so because of that I have you know that that's why I I think I've always just like remained very introverted because I was always I always much rather like read. So as a as a young kid, I always used to read a lot and kind of get lost in in the world of books because yeah, I was just introverted and in that sense beauty mm. has never been some beautiful has never been something like as a kid growing up all the way even to my teens, I would say I've never considered myself beautiful because of that. So like, you know, kind of yeah. lower I wouldn't say very low self-esteem, but generally just like thought of myself as like yeah I'm just this nerdy wallflower blending to the background don't really want to be noticed yeah but as I grew um as I grew up I think I started to kind of grow into my skin a lot more I think and that was through a lot of different activities I was involved in with like church and taking up leadership roles so after having to like find my voice and to like grow into these roles Mm -hmm. I started to gain a lot more confidence and you know, you've spoken about the power of validation, right? And I actually received yep. a lot of validation, not for my looks or whatever, but for like the way I communicated, the way I was able to, mm-hmm. to lead groups, Um, you know, at the age of like 16, all the way to like 18 plus plus. So that was when I think that was really yeah. the point on time, like near college time, 16 towards 18, where I was like, hey, um, you know, I, I do have these strengths and people are noticing them. And it was only after I started becoming I have a voice. Like, confident in my skin and realizing that I have a worth and that it's not defined by like my popular lack of popularity back then and my deeply awkward introversion as a kid, like that I noticed that, you know, I am beautiful. And that was something that took me mm-hmm. a long time to realize, like, you know, even as, as I mentioned, like I struggle a lot as a child knowing my worth and having that validation but I think in 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 the teenage years in college and then as I grew older into my uni years where I just yeah I became a lot more confident that was when I felt a lot more comfortable in in my skin and that was only the point where I would when the moment I got comfortable in my skin I realized that yes you know what I am beautiful and I'm gonna own it Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah yeah um and the relationship with the beauty company sorry professor you're about to say no, 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 go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, so, um, yeah, you, you actually men- linked it very interestingly. So, yes, I am um, working in a beauty company now. And it's such an interesting and exciting industry, one that I never would have imagined that I would be in, you know, especially I started off studying law. You know, I, I worked in a law firm. I practiced yeah. a tax lawyer. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, my God. I need one, oh, by the way. I'll give you some context. <laughs> but yeah, I, I would never imagine that fa- fast forward three, four years later, I would now be in a beauty company. And 
of course, I'm, yeah. uh, I've been in it for about five months now. I'm still sort of relatively new to the industry, but I'm loving it so much. I'm learning a lot of new things about uh, makeup, formulation, and in that sense, um, my, re- my validation and what I'm, in terms of like my career and my profession, I would say that it's actually given me more because of the fact that I'm really enjoying what I'm doing, I'm seeing like what goes on behind um, mm-hmm. the science, the science of, it of and beauty everything. In a way, it's right? just made me have a deeper appreciation for beauty. Honestly, like that has mm. made me feel like wow, interesting. It, it, it's so much more than just makeup. It's so much more than just you know palettes. It, yeah, colors. It's yeah, so much deeper than that. So thank you so much for the interesting question. I'm sorry if that was like a long-winded answer. <laughs> No, 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 quite the opposite. I, I, I have to say, um, the only thing I'm going to say is that I recognize myself 100% on the journey of your journey of, of um, realizing my self-worth and building a relationship with myself. And I think, um, obviously, I had no idea about your, about your journey, um, but I, it makes so much sense. I think a lot of people who have severe issues with um, their their self worth uh, have a very hard time having a sense of identity. You don't know what you are, who you are, how you look, why. Uh, why would somebody care about you? So I think this this journey of realizing your self worth as a person before uh, anything else it's probably the most sustainable path forward. For sure. Yeah, definitely. So uh, I, 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 want, I do want to ask you, after, you, after you're ready with your next question, I do want to ask you a little bit about your, your next steps in your career because you said that you transitioned. But I'm, I'm ready for your question this time, Ms. Jen. All right. Ten. So um, the second question I had for you is actually about your trademark phrase. Do you want to guess what the trademark phrase I'm going to bring up? A phrase that you use quite frequently. The job, the job is easy Bingo. to people or not. <laughs> Yes, amen to that. Um, so yes, I wanted to speak about that trademark phrase that you, um, you have mentioned it to us in in classes. You also talk about it on social media quite a lot, um, where you say the job is easy and but the people are not. And now that I've transitioned yeah. from you know the MBA student life to to now at the workplace, I would say that I do resonate with mm. that. But I like to explore that phrase a little bit more with you. Yeah. So yeah. is there? So, um, yeah. so is there one key theme or lesson that you have observed about people management through all 19 of your jobs? So context, uh, Professor Loredana, you can elaborate on that a little bit more, but you've held about 19 jobs so far. So I wanted to know if there was one key theme yeah. or lesson about people management that you can sort of share with us about. Uh, yeah, the lesson is going to be the title of my second w- book, which is I Hate People and Other Management Lessons. Well, that's For real? <laughs> you can read more about that. In, yeah, <laughs> you can read more about that in the, in the upcoming book or maybe the upcoming podcast, because at this point I talk more than I write. So um, I want to tell you a little bit more about my, my, uh, the, this, uh, this statement that follows me. So when I first came to ASB, I... Uh, I had a very, very short notice to my previous boss. Uh, I worked in a university in Boston, which I adored. I adored the place. The people were so nice, but uh, it, was, it was a very, very comfortable place. And uh, 
um, I went to my boss and I told her that, you know, I'm leaving. And she sort of looked at me. She said, I knew we, I was sort of waiting for you to leave at some point because this place, it's a little bit too small for you. And I told her, I said, but to be very honest, I don't know. I don't know if I'm, if I'm ready for this. I don't know what's going to be like. I have no idea how to start a school from scratch. I know there's a few of us, but it's so, it's a, it's a daunting task. And, and Nancy said, she said, oh, Loredana, the job is easy. The mm. people are not. And initially, I just listened to that and in a cheeky way. And then when I joined ASB, I joined ASB, uh, as, as you can imagine, the, the founding members of ASB, which we, we were two and four and 10 and 15 in time, we pretty much had to do everything. And I, I realized that I have to do things that I didn't, I wasn't planning to do in, in that point of my life. I was planning to be a professor, maybe be the faculty director for action learning, whatever that is, but I wasn't, I wasn't prepared to be a marketing director and a HR headhunter and, you know, build a website and then do, um, I don't know, corporate development and things like that. And what I realized is that the, at the end of the day, I would come home uh, and I would be so emotionally exhausted and I would feel so many feelings of inadequacy, of, of um, discomfort, of unhappiness, not just fatigue, but um, there were so many interactions throughout the day where I would feel like, but this is so easy. Why can't you just see it? It's easy. Why do we have to make a big deal about it? Why do we have to have egos in between us? Um, and then I realized that the job is easy, the people are not, applies every single time. That you cannot really expect rational behavior from irrational creatures mm-hmm. like humans. And every single one of us is a complex algorithm of, of behaviors and values and attitudes and beliefs and religion and personal growth, whatever that is. But the, the, the thing that I realized more than anything, Janice, was that I am people yes. too, right? Yeah. I make your life difficult. I am responsible for your shitty day. I am responsible for not making it easy for you. Not just as a professor, but especially as a non-professor, especially as an administrator. And that was, uh, I think, a painful realization, but also a mature realization, because it's so easy to go home and blame it on everybody else. Or you can go home and be like, you know what? Today I was a little bit of a bitch. Hmm. Bad, Lore. Stand down. So I, I learned many things. I learned, for example, my, my, new, my new framework, which is the smart and sharp framework. I learned that what we used to think as soft skills mm-hmm. are not soft, but we should call them smart and, and give them the respect they deserve. I learned that um, giving and receiving validation, the right quality and quantity of validation is critical. And I also learned that emotional maturity is one of the skills that I'm looking for the most in people. And that's why I have to tell you, Janice, that's why I loved working with you. But that's also why I always felt severely inadequate next to you, because you have such an emotional strength about you and you are so poised and in control and so... um, not, not gracious, because gracious doesn't have enough strength in the world. But I always admired you, and I always felt severely inadequate next it's to you. It's very kind of you to say, Professor. It, it's a work in progress. Well, it's yeah. not kind. It's, it's the truth. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, the, the work in progress is very advanced. Let me put it this way. It's, it's very advanced. So 
So to wrap up a very long answer, um, I learned that the job is easy, the people are not, I am people. I am equally responsible for making the job hard. Um, and I have to work on myself just the same way as I have to help my team and, and my students work on themselves. And that's why I built this, this new framework on the smart and sharp skills. And I came up with the top 10 and I'm, this is what I'm teaching right now in exec ed, because I realized that in order, if I want, if I want the people to be less hard, then I need to make people smarter from a smart skills mm. perspective. I've actually been thinking a lot about, so just, just as a follow-up to your answer, which you know, gave me so much food for thought, is that I've actually been thinking a lot about the value of empathy in a workplace, right? Because I've been speaking a lot to, um, to friends who are now, of course, we're all navigating COVID together and how that kind of looks like in the workplace it looks kind of different for everybody. But I think one big struggle um, that I've sort of heard among different people I've spoken to is that they find that their jobs sometimes are made easier uh, because they have people that they work with who are a lot, very empathetic, especially when they have bosses that mm-hmm. are empathetic and they you know, are able to sort of stand in their shoes, stand in their employee shoes and be able to yeah, um, to be considerate and, and kind of give them some freedom to navigate. So I just wanted to ask you, how have you seen mm-hmm. the value or power of empathy kind of play out for you in the different workplace um, settings that you've been, that you've been in? So I, yeah, I, that, that's a great question. I think um, what I've noticed is, at least at ASB, um, because we don't have a very high power distance environment, because we, we try to be flat and very sort of collaborative, we don't really have a lot of micromanagement in place. And I think micromanagement is Mm -hmm. the enemy of empathy in the sense that you're always controlling what somebody else is doing. And I think a lot of us uh, believe that uh, here's the job, right? Here's the task, here's the goal, the KPI, if you want to call it, Mm -hmm. even though I don't believe in KPI. Here are the values. Here's the standard of excellence. Go ahead and do it. Keep me posted on how you're doing it, if you need help. And then if something comes up, let Mm. me know how I can help. Um, And I think you're absolutely right. I think empathy is very much putting yourself in the other person's, not even shoes, but the entire lifestyle model, right? So one of my most amazing colleagues that I I have ever had, her name is Christina. You might remember Christina Janis. Christina is amazing. She, she's, she's one of my assistants, but she's also a mother and she has a husband who works night shifts. He's a, he's a network, I think he's a network uh, engineer or something like that. And he works night shifts. So Christina has very weird uh, working uh, hours, not working schedule because we never talked about that, but she has weird working hours. She sometimes works at night when her husband is awake, then she has to give uh, I, I, th- I think she has to give her baby food or something like that. But I see by the emails that she sends me at one o'clock in the morning or at four o'clock in the morning. And I'm always wondering, what is Christina doing at this hour? But what I realize in time is that I don't need to ask her to be in the office from nine to five. Why would I do that if the job doesn't? So, for example, if I don't have to teach, she doesn't have to do that. All she needs to do is just say, this is how I work best. Or you might remember Anson. Anson wakes up at 12 p.m. (laughs) He literally wakes up at 12 p.m. But then he goes on until 2 a.m. This is Mm. his rhythm. Obviously, when we have 
early meetings and he has to attend, he does that. But you're absolutely right. I think empathy is, is beyond putting yourself in, in somebody else's shoes. And it's rather trying to understand that person's lifestyle, uh, constraint, challenges, the fact that they are not alone and somebody else depends on them. Um, and I think, uh, once again, if the job is easy, the people are not, let's make people better, right? Let's make people smarter and kinder and more empathetic. And then obviously everything is going to be easier. I love that. So much to think about. Yeah. So I have a question. For you. <laughs> Thank you. I have a question for you. Um, you. You mentioned that you moved from Kuala Lumpur to to Hong Kong. You also uh, moved industries quite dramatically. Yes. You were a tax lawyer and now you work as an HR practitioner in a beauty industry. I can only imagine that this transition is pretty massive and uh, it's not just the country and the city and the culture, but it's also the culture of your company is, is the new position that you have. Can you tell me a little bit about your journey of transitioning to this new place, not just Hong Kong and the company, but to the new place where you are right now? And what are some of the, maybe some of the reflections that you have from this transition? Um, thank you so much for this question, Professor. Um, this is, of course, such a deeply personal, but also important question that mm. I've, been, I've been personally reflecting mm. on over the past few months, especially. So yeah, as you correctly pointed out, I've made the somewhat crazy move of, I mean, I didn't think it was that crazy until a few of my friends and relatives and colleagues reached out to me and ex-colleagues who were like, what? Did, you did this all in the midst of a pandemic? Are, have you lost your marbles, girl? <laughs> but yeah. Well, you yes. are fearless. You are fearless in many um, ways. So yeah, I think it's it's not been easy. You know, I, I would be lying if I said that this was a very seamless and kind of like walk in a park sort of transition because I was not only navigating um, a change in careers and industry, but I was also navigating a geographical shift, right? So I think I did go through, I, I did go through and am going through the change curve. And this was, this was what we talked about when, uh, even mm. when we started, me and my bachelor's, we started action learning, action uh, learning. we started ASB, we were shown yep. the change curve where it's going to get super difficult and you're going to go through like a massive um getting used to period yeah crisis mode and then you crisis. sort of like <laughs> go through despair anguish all that sort of thing thankfully mine wasn't as radical but in the first um three months especially i would say the learning curve was so in at work i would say the learning curve was very steep because i had to within a short span of time be able to pick up um new sort of industry the terms that i need to know and be familiarized with in terms of the hr industry um, and then, you know, so there was a lot of catching up and being having to be intentional about my growth, about my development, seeking out help and not being able to ask for help where, where it's needed, I would yeah. say. So that, that's one of the big mm. lessons. Um, just, yeah, to be bold enough and to be, do not be shy with asking for help. So this is one of the key takeaways I had in terms of the workplace. Um, because at, what I've noticed is that people are generally very happy to help when you ask them politely, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. There, there is absolutely. no shame, you know, because I did, me and when I spoke to some of my current um, ASB classmates who are also navigating like new roles, um, some of them in new countries as well, the common theme that I sort of observe is that, okay, all these, all of my classmates who are obviously very brilliant people, they're all like, okay, 
we should be know we, we should know this we should be coming in with expertise you know we should be coming in with like <laughs> fresh perspectives and being able to have frameworks that could like transform the company so because of that there is generally a slight aversion towards like looking silly or like asking for help or getting directions mm-hmm. so but yeah what i've sort of known through like personal experience is that the moment i opened my mouth and sought out um the help from the right people I got the I got the I got the help that I needed yeah. and more. You know, they would offer to like, hey, I'll connect you to X Y Z because I think they would be able to help you and exactly. give you like some sort of mentorship or or development that you need. So yeah, that was one of the biggest lessons I had in terms of um, professionally, and in terms of on a personal note, um, one of the key takeaways I had through the whole transition journey is to to be kind to myself. Yeah, seriously, because yeah, um. I think I have to remind Absolutely. myself every now and then that uh it it was not easy you know making this big move in the midst of the pandemic so every time when I have certain thoughts and doubts at the back of my of my mind or negative thoughts such as oh you know you should have done better in uh, at work for X Y Z you should have this you should have that I told myself that this is not this is not like a you know no easy feat and yeah this is not not productive, productive as yeah. well to be yeah. um basically battering myself down, crushing myself with all these like negative self-doubt exactly. talk. So I I do have to remind myself to be kind and to give myself um yeah to be to be to be gracious to myself because not everyone is navigating their own unique sets of challenges, you know, and there is absolutely no yeah. productive point in saying all the should have been, could have been and just to be hard on yourself. So that's kind of what I've been telling myself so yeah that's why I, I always talk about like you know prioritizing yeah, my, my mental health and self-care recently on social media because mm. this was one of the realizations that I had that I was occasionally being unreasonably harsh to myself you know I heard somebody today on on a podcast because I'm also I'm also becoming a little bit of a podcaster in the sense that I can't mm. stand to look at the screen anymore so I either watch um, maybe Netflix or Amazon Prime but now I started to enjoy more podcasting because it, I think it talks to a different part of my brain and my eyes are not so glued to the screen. But one of the things that I heard today, I, I heard somebody talking about, uh, you know, being kind to yourself. And I, I, they said, would you, talk to, you, would you talk the same way you talk to yourself, Ooh. to your best friend? Right? Like if your best friend was moving to Hong Kong and was dealing through the, uh, the change through a pandemic and she was having a hard time, would you put her down? Would you batter her? <laughs> would you say, come on, you can do this. Oh, yeah, stop complaining. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yes, yes, so much yes. And I thought that was like, that was such a massive slap in the face. I was like, duh, I, I would never tell any mm. of my friends any of the shit that I tell myself. But also one of the things that my uh, one of my girlfriends, um, Adna, wrote me the other day because she, she was listening to the podcast and I was talking to I was talking to Crystal, yeah. uh, who you know, I think, and, and Crystal was talking about self-love. And one of the things that I also, uh, so Anna sent me this, this, um, this uh, uh, DM and she said, you know, there's a difference between self-love and, and uh, you know, sort of um, uh, allowing yourself to dwell in your misery, right? Um, it's it's, it's self, self-love it's it's not self-commiseration right self-love it's also saying come on it's eight o'clock in the morning you need to move 
you need to get the, the, the day, right? <laughs> you need to wash your hair. You need to put on makeup. I don't care. It's a, it's a Zoom. But it's self-love. It's also holding yourself yeah. to, to your standards, right? Uh, which, which I thought it was. I thought it was interesting. Oh my goodness me. We could talk forever, <laughs> Janice, the two of us, but hit me with one, right. with one more question. Um, okay, so this is, this is a, quite a fun slash cheeky one. <laughs> so um, right. I have to say that one thing that really strikes me about you, especially I, this has came out also during some of the previous podcast episodes, right? Where, pe- where you talked about how people's first impression of you is that you are not a typical professor-looking kind of professor. You know, you're in your fabulous dresses, yeah. your yeah. Jimmy Choo heels, very, very high stilettos, and your leather pants. And that, you know, you're, you're basically unapologetically <laughs> authentic. And I think that shows through your real-life persona and also on social media as well. Basically, very much what you see is what you get kind of person. And that's what I really like about you as well, like the, mm-hmm. the candor that you have and just, yeah, you, you really are not afraid to be who you are. So, yeah, so I noticed, you know, especially when Thank it comes you. to like social media, you share um, quite a lot about your, your life, both like in terms of your personal life and also your professional life. So I really like to know what is one thing that people don't know about you and will be surprised to know? I guess That's how boring I really am. Really? <laughs> I don't I'm buy that. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. I'm serious. I actually don't really think that I'm so interesting um, within myself. I mean, I, yeah, maybe, you know what makes me interesting? People. Because I think I have this capacity to mirror somebody and, and people find me interesting because they find themselves interesting. And I have this capacity to ask questions and to listen and to challenge somebody. But actually, at home, I'm a pretty boring person. Boring in the sense that my 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 uh, my life post, I don't know, a day of work. And I'm not talking about COVID <laughs> days because everybody's fucked up now. But I I love to do nothing. Mm. That's my favorite thing to do. And it could be because I do so much. But I love to do nothing. I love to watch three hours of Netflix until <laughs> Netflix is constantly asking me, are you still watching? And by the way, isn't that the most judgmental statement ever? Are you still watching? Yeah, bitch. Back, back the fuck off. Yes, I'm I feel still triggered watching. when they do why that. You I you. Uh, me too. I was like, why do you do this? I understand the reason, but it doesn't make me feel good. And uh, uh, so, yeah, I guess even when I go on vacations, I, I'm just super chilled like I am very very introverted we had this conversation before in the sense that I need a lot of time to recover from interactions with people and I I just love to do nothing um maybe read but I don't even read very do not imagine that I read the most you know philosophical books that has ever been written also because I think my brain needs an escape every now and then but I'm actually a pretty simple person once you get to know me a little bit now, having said that, a lot of my friends will say, you're not really that simple because mm-hmm. you want what you want and you want it now and you know exactly how you want it. But that's another story. But I, yeah, I would say that uh, this, this bundle of, you know, extreme energy, mm-hmm. it's, I, I'm not always on. I'm not always on. I, I, I love to take a two hour long bath. I have records of being in a bathtub for three hours watching Netflix. And I have to say, I'm not kidding yourself. (laughs) So, 
yeah it is it is and and they um for a while this is this is interesting janice for for a while i would i would be very um i would feel guilty about doing nothing because i'm really doing nothing like i'm not I'm not, it's not like I'm gardening or painting or any of the fabulous Pinterest hobbies that people post all the time. No, my hobbies are sitting in bed watching TV or taking a three hour long bath or playing mm-hmm. with my cats, but in a very lazy way. It's very <laughs> un, un-Instagrammable. So for a long time, I thought, boy, I, I, I'm so, look at me wasting my life. How can I do this? I should, I should do, I should have a productive hobby. I kept telling myself, I need a productive hobby. And then one day I was on my phone. I was outside of, uh, of my house and I was on the phone and it was running out of batteries. And I was so desperately trying to go home to recharge my phone. And then it sort of hit me. I was like, what does my phone do when it's recharging? Pretty much nothing. It just sits there and it's recharging. So isn't it interesting that I have empathy for a machine when it needs to recharge doing nothing but literally just being plugged in, but I don't have empathy for myself when I do a similar experience? What if that's my recharging station? What if that's my recharging process? And why mm, does it have to exactly. look, you know, Instagrammable? Right. Self-care looks different for all of us. Because... Yeah. And in my case, it doesn't look pretty. It looks messy and my hair is in a a ponytail and I don't have makeup and I don't like to wear fancy clothes. Actually, the second I come home, I take off all my clothes. (laughs) Guys, stop thinking dirty thoughts. But that's what I do. So, yeah, I, I don't know if people would be surprised to hear that, but my life. It's not really as Instagrammable uh, when mm. I am in my charging I station. Actually, I can see why, to be honest, because I think your job requires you to expend a lot of energy externally. So because mm-hmm. you teach, you have a lot of Zoom mm-hmm. webinars, especially in the past few months. And I'm thinking, how does Professor Lauren have all yeah. that energy, honestly, to go on webinars after webinars, talks, talks, and then, you know, you teach as well. <laughs> so that's, with that kind of role, it requires yes. so much of energy being sort of like expanded outwards that, you know, of course you need that downtime after that mm-hmm. to recharge. So yeah, I would say self-care looks different for all of us and not all of it have to be super productive, like, you know, running a 10K run every like alternate day. Uh, yeah, I wish I did that. I wish, but I don't. And my primary lesson to you guys, if you're listening is, if that's you, if that's your charging station, maybe don't beat yourself up over it. Maybe say, you know what? I work for fourteen hours today. I need three hours to do literally nothing because this is what my body needs. So that was my primary lesson. Now I have to ask you. I got a lot of questions uh, on a poll that I did the other day on on Instagram and asked people what do they want to talk about. And many, many, many people said that oh, they want really? to talk about long distance relationships. And oh, your, <laughs> yes, I don't know why. I think it's because of COVID mm. and people are stuck behind borders. But I know that you're one of my friends that is in a successful relationship, but also in a long distance relationship. If you, would you mind talking a little bit about um, when did your long distance relationship started and how do you wow. deal with that? And if you have any advice for us. <laughs> okay, this is a very unexpected question as well. I love, I'm loving it. <laughs> well, why, why do you keep that exactly is true, yeah, that I, okay, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, this is an unconventional podcast after all. Um, 
I think why exactly. I'm surprised is also because Very I much do on not brand. see myself as like a relationship expert in any way or you know when you mention it I'm someone who is in a successful relationship I also think like what what does a successful relationship look like externally you know internally I understand but like externally mm. what what defines what a successful relationship look like but um in any event uh let me answer I I do have some thoughts about that I would say because Yes, you're right. You know, I'm currently in a long-distance relationship with my boyfriend. We've been dating for about six years. Um, and yeah, because of mm. because of the fact that I relocated, we had to do a long-distance relationship starting. So I actually moved to Hong Kong in June, end of June this year. So that was when our LDR started. Mm. And of course, um, before I took up this offer, this before I so I got the off my job offer before COVID hit and we had actually make pl- make plans and he, you know he was really supportive about yeah. it first of all I have to say that you know I I really have to give him the biggest sort of like virtual loves and and hugs because ordinarily I think it would be very challenging when one party in a in a very long committed relationship decides that they want to relocate for work especially if the other partner doesn't move along with yeah, them right absolutely. So, you you have to kind of go through that uh separation yep. in that sense but he was very supportive about it i mean of course we had to smooth a few uh, a few a few topics and agree on a few things but he was very supportive because he knew that i was relocating because i was going to be working for a boss that really invested in my growth i was going to be in a role that would be able to give me a lot of stretch opportunities and because of that he completely understood he was such a gentleman about it and he was like you know what if this is going to help you um, go go far in your career in HR and to be able to sort of lead into your new role and, and new industry, by all means, I like completely support you, you know? Yeah, mm. so so that itself was something that awesome. I really touched me um, very, very deeply. But um, that was pre-COVID times because we also mentioned that, oh yeah, we'll make arrangements to see each other like once, because Hong Kong and Malaysia are so close, we'll see each other like once a month or once in two months. So, all these arrangements yeah. were made. But when COVID happened, and of course, this was something that nobody expected at all. Um, at that time, I had already signed my contract and um, I was going to be going. So because of that, we had to readjust to this, you know, this new normal, the most overused word of all. But really, this was the new normal that our relationship yeah. had to adjust and sort of, um, and, and we had to navigate it together as a couple. So I think the biggest maybe advice I could give someone or, or sort of share with other people what my key takeaways are is that when you're in a long-distance relationship, there are so many um, factors that are very uncertain, right? Especially now with COVID, you don't know when you will see uh, your partner. I, I really don't know when I'll get to go back to Malaysia, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. He I doesn't you. know when he can come in, maybe not for a very long time. But I think what we have established mm. is that... Um, yeah, there are there are some fundamental uh, truths in our relationship where we where trust actually forms a huge part of that, mm. and we trust each other. I think both me and him we trust each other so yeah. deeply and so fully that that um is no longer an issue. And we've also set a few like non negotiables, right? So one of our mm-hmm. non negotiable is that we will commit to speaking to each yeah. other every day, even if it's just for ten to fifteen minutes. This is something that we've agreed that, you know, will help us connect even in the midst of, like, this whole uncertainty nice. of, I don't know when I'll see you next, you don't know when I'll see me next. 
So I think when we had these few mm-hmm. things that we both agreed upon, it just made it, um, it just solidified that commitment even further, right? That we were connected um, mentally, even yeah. though we can't see each other physically. So, yeah. Yeah, because once you start to lose connection and I don't talk today and I don't talk tomorrow Correct. and then it's yeah. two so, weeks. So two things like, really, oh. I would say trust right. and communication. Yeah. <laughs> mm. And and is there is there a sense of despair when you look ahead in the future without like you mentioned that if I don't know when I'm gonna see you again and you know all this how do you deal with that because I I can imagine yeah, it's a um, little bit daunting yeah you basically kind of hit the nail on the head right because there there is I would say yes there is a sense of despair and we both are just like you know that's there's no use really speaking about like plan making plans because everything is evolving so quickly and everything is so mm-hmm. dynamic as well, right? Suddenly there's like this extension of CMCO in Malaysia and that sort yeah, of thing. So that's true. We 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 do feel quite I mean, there is that looming kind of looming sense of despair. But I think we what we both try to do is to not dwell on it too mm-hmm. much. And because you can't at the end of the day, there yeah. are certain things that that's are outside good. of your sphere of control. Exactly, and and what's exactly what are you gonna do? Is border rules. So what we can control is the degree of communication yeah, we have with one absolutely. another. So that's just what we're we're trying to focus on. Yeah. So um, I'm, as I'm getting ready for your next question for me, I, I just want to say one of the things that I learned in life, and I believe so much in this statement, is it it's not how much somebody loves you, yeah. but it's how they love you that matters more. Do they love you in a in a trusting way? Do they love you in an open way? Do they love you with with your best intentions at heart? Because you know, there's there's a lot of people out there, both men and women, and everybody else on the spectrum, that say, "But I love you so much. This is why I'm treating you so badly." And I I would always say to people like this, I was like, "I understand that you think you love me, but this is not the kind of love that I want. It's yeah. not about how completely, much you love me, but it's how you love me." All yeah. right, Janice, I yep, think I we do. have uh, so, um, two more The next question I had is actually oh, on wow. personal development because that's an area that I'm, I'm personally quite like passionate about. So mm. this is something I wanted to pick your brains on. So, you know, I've seen, I think we both like, we, we both follow each other on social media. We comment on each other's posts quite a lot. And that's how I kind of like keep connected yeah. to you, right? So I've seen some of your posts where you, uh, you're actually very reflective on social media. So I, I do genuinely like really enjoy your content and you also share every yeah. now and then about different ideas you're pondering on or new habits that, that you've incorporated in your life. So I think this year you, was it this year or last year where you've sort of embraced um, going vegetarian and so you even had like a, a, a live one, a live IG where you like shared different yeah. recipes. Yeah, so these are just some of the things that you do, you know, you share ideas, mm-hmm. you share... Um, the new habits that you have uh, incorporated into your life. So I'm just wondering um, that, you know, it, within this past year or even the year before that, what new belief, behavior or habit has brought the most value or improvement to your life? I love this question. And I have such a, such a fast answer to this is becoming vegan. I have to say that it is probably one of the top three things that I'm most proud of in my life. I, it gives me so much more, um, I don't know, self-worth 
to myself, not to others. I actually don't really, I mentioned veganism <laughs> on my, on my, on my Instagram because I love food and I love to share food. And I think it's also because a lot of people think that, that being vegan, it's, it's having a very boring diet, but it's not true. But one of the reasons why I turned vegan, I, I, I was, <clears throat> I turned vegan last year. Um, before that, I played a lot with vegetarianism. And, and the thing is that I knew everything that I had to know. I knew uh, the, the kind of treatment that, that animals get into industrialized farming. I knew how your meat is being produced. I know how your cheese and your milk and your eggs are being produced. And with all that in mind, I just, I didn't, mm. I don't know, I, I didn't make the move. And then one evening last year in the fall, I was, as usual, on Netflix and I watched this the Game show. The Game Changers, yes, The Game Changers. And I was watching the show, I was thinking, you know, I didn't know this, this aspect of being vegan. Like, I didn't know the body part. I didn't know the recovery from fat, animal fat versus, uh, you know, plant-based fat, for example. But I, I, I've been teaching the McDonald's case for 10 years. I know how meat is being produced in a farm. I know how abusive you know the, the eggs i mean that the chickens when they have to produce eggs are why is it that i i still don't do anything about it and at 6 30 p.m on thursday i decided okay i'll turn vegan wow. let's see how this goes and i never went back and you know what impresses me about myself and and, and please don't read this as as being arrogant i start a lot of habits and i break them like like everybody else, I'm going to go to the gym. I, I actually never do. But this habit, I think it's so easy for me to sustain because it's a value-based habit. It's an ethic-based habit. It's not a diet. It's not a fad. It's not because I want to be skinnier or, or fatter, whatever that, that you want to be. It is because I realize that I cannot be hypocritical and love our dogs and our cats Right. But at the same time, you know, eat them. And and I, I said this, I don't know how many times I said this this year. I am so proud of myself for doing this. And I have to say a few times I did say, I can't believe you ha you waited so long. You had all the tools, you had all the information. But maybe I wasn't mentally ready to make the step. It is a pretty big step. And you also have to realize that you're going to uh, probably uh, open up yourself to some sort of challenges, not that they are massive challenges. I mean, people today are very nice about, you know, different diets. And uh, just this morning, I, I, uh, I had breakfast at the Four Seasons because I was waiting for my medical results. And the guys there are so understanding. It's like, sure, you're vegan, not a problem. Tell us what you want to eat and we'll make it happen. So I think there's a much higher level of understanding for, for people's dietary needs. But I am so proud of this. But I, I have to tell you once again, I think I was able to sustain it for, for this year because it's a value-based uh, um, behavior and it's not just a, mm -hmm. you know, it's not a fad. It's not my New York resolution. I mean, New Year resolution is not one of these things that I should be doing it, which I do a lot and I break. Like my going to the gym will never work ever. I, I, I hate it. I don't like working out, mm -hmm. period. But well, this, powerful. In that's, this, that's I really powerful, Professor. 
So my, um, I, I can't believe that I have my final question for you, but I also can't <laughs> believe that we've been talking for an hour. So I hope people are Likewise. still listening because I'm definitely enjoying learning more about you. But my, my, my last question for, for all my guests is the same question, which is, um, you know, we all have a story of our own identity. And what do I mean when I say we are unconventionals? I mean, that we are not in this box, whatever, whoever inv- invented the box, like put you in the box. I don't believe in that. I, I, I honestly believe that we are as unique as our, our fingerprints, uh, right? And I think there's a lot of people out there who are still, um, you know, closeted unconventionals in the sense that they are afraid to, to be who they are. They are afraid to admit who they are and they are afraid to live, I would say, an honest and authentic life. Do you have any words of advice for 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 yeah. our so, friends who are still in the closet? Once again, I think this is a great question. And I would say my advice would be to really own your narrative. I think each and every one of us have a story and a journey that is so uniquely mm. us, so unique to yourself. So don't ever underestimate yourself by comparing yourself to other people or by downplaying your own experiences. Yeah. yeah. So and I kind of want to leave um the listeners oh, out yes. there with a quote that I really love from Michelle Obama. So um, in Michelle Obama's autobiography, Becoming, which I absolutely love, she said, there's power in allowing yourself to be known and heard, in owning your unique story, in using your authentic voice, and there's grace in being willing to know and hear others. Amen. Amen, Janice, because this is what I love about this little podcast that I'm doing. Honestly, I just pick up random people that I know. And every single podcast that I have, it is such an eye-opening experience for me because you tell me things that are so unique to you and they are so beautiful. And then I talk to Devika who tells me this amazing story. And then, you know, uh, Ranjini and Samantha. And, and you're absolutely right. I think, I think owning your own yeah, narrative completely. is and so, I think- so powerful. Yeah, it, there, is, there is such a value in each and everybody's story. So, yeah, that's why I really would like anyone listening out there to really take home. <laughs> yeah. Did you hear that? Take it home, people. Take it home. It's a to-go. All right. Your final question for me before we lose every... every, every uh, <laughs> All right. So this is my final question. Listening you, to this podcast. And I want to um, leave the final question on like um, a positive note. So the last question I have for you is that, you know, right now we live in a time where mm-hmm. every time you turn on the news, when you're scrolling on your Instagram, it feels like there's a lot of doom, a lot of gloom and despair, right? So I really want to know. Agree? Yeah. yeah. So could you share the end of the world. <laughs> one thing that you feel hopeful about? I feel very, very hopeful about the new generation. I feel very hopeful about the Z generation, the, the this young people who were born after 2000. And I feel very hopeful about the young millennials who have a, a much stronger sense of, um, sense of civic duty and civic responsibility than probably any of the generations prior to this. And uh, every time I start a new uh, class, so in the fall, we just started a new batch and I have... I have to tell you, Janice, this mm-hmm. is an amazing class. You should be really proud. Um, and, I, and I tell them, I, I have to say, we, my generation, the baby boomers, the, the, Z gen, the, the silent generation, I'm sorry, we have to own the fact that we screwed up a lot. 
we built a lot, but we also screwed up a lot. And we screwed up things that are very, very, very essential. And for me, um, I, I'm very hopeful for people like Greta Thunberg. I mm-hmm. admire Greta more than I admire even Michelle Obama. Because I think somebody who's 16, who is able to move mountains and people and continents with a single belief is so powerful. And I think that, you know, I I study generations and I teach about managing multi-generations in class. And the the silent generation, which was the generation born, um, I think around 1946, has very, very similar values to the generation that uh, is being born now, which is the Z generation, the new generation. And it's a generation that it's a lot more uh, giving. It's a lot more civic centric. It's a lot more society focused. So I am very hopeful that we have amazing young people who will you know, take care of this planet and make it into that. a much better place than we are leaving it behind. Amen to that, sister. Thank this you so much awesome, for having Janice. me. I'm Everything so happy we got to do this. Are you kidding me? Thank you so much for coming. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, this is the Unconventional Professor podcast. This was the truly extraordinary and unconventional Janice. Indeed. My friend, if I may, may call you so, because you're Thank not you my so much anymore. Professor. Thank you so much for being on Five on Five. All right, guys, stand by for our last segment of the day, which is the lesson of the day, since this podcast went way over time once again, because we are so awesome. It might be a very... Welcome back, Unconventional Friends. I hope you had fun with with Janice. Uh, I always find it so fascinating to talk to my students who left the, uh, the nest, if you want, and now they find themselves being responsible adults out there in the world. So for the lesson of the day, I kept thinking about what do I want to talk about? And since in the beginning, I mentioned how grateful and surprised I am that so many of you are listening out there. I want to talk about one of the top 10 smart skills that I think it's essential in today's world. So just to remind you all, in case you haven't tuned in in the previous uh, episodes, I am challenging the traditional semantics of soft and hard skills, and I am proposing a new framework that redefines the skills as smart and sharp. Smart replacing soft and sharp replacing hard. And um, I'm not just looking for a change in semantics, but I actually think that after 40 years of using the words soft and hard, we need to take a a really good look and, and ask ourselves, are all these skills that are required for us to be great with people soft? What is exactly soft about managing a team, managing your people, dealing with com- complex um, situations? What exactly is soft about it? There's nothing soft. So I prefer to call it smart. Same thing with the hard skills. As a, as a child, I was constantly told that, you know, um, these are hard skills that are... Uh, um, chemistry or biology and later on in life optimization and and you know business dynamics and uh, finance for example were hard and the truth is yes they are not easy but hard has an implication of 
of being static, of being difficult, of being uh, less dynamic. And one of the things that I have learned in my life, especially teaching in an MBA program, is that these skills require constant updating, therefore constant resharpening. So I prefer to call these skills sharp skills. So as I said, I would like to talk about one of the top 10 smart skills that I think it's essential today. And I want to talk about listening. (laughs) I know it seems ironic since this is what we are doing right away, right? But think a little bit about what does listening mean? So I think of listening as the ability to focus completely on a person speaking, understand their message, and while comprehending the information, responding thoughtfully. I think in today's business, and especially in a virtual world, where all you can do is focus on somebody's words, you cannot really read body language, you cannot really read much intonation, truly listening, truly trying to understand where this person is coming from, what they are actually saying, what do they actually mean, and only then reacting to what they say in one way or another, um, it's probably the right path forward. Now, I have to say I struggle a lot with this skill because I am very impulsive, I am very fast, I am very, very quick at at jumping uh, in a situation. So for me, practicing listening skills is a constant exercise. However, I would also say that throughout the years of exercising the skills, I also managed to pick up cues that sometimes we don't pick up ourselves. And I hope you don't think that, you know, I'm arrogant when I make this statement. But if you start paying very close attention to what people are saying, you actually start to read between the lines, even though the lines are not on paper. You start to realize what do they actually mean? What are they afraid of? What do they really want to say, but they don't have the courage, the words, the context or the confidence to say it? So for me, listening is one of the top 10 smart skills because in the absence of listening, we're not very smart. I hope you enjoyed the lesson of the day. I will see you soon with another podcast and uh, with another episode of this podcast. Uh, Once again, welcome to The Unconventional Professor. This is Loredana Podurian, class dismissed.